Did you know you can sponsor an episode of this or any other of your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated shows? That's right. Simply click the PayPal link on our website, donate any amount at all, tell us which show you're choosing and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf, and you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode, with your message read in the show's opener. It's that easy, and there is no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. December 7th, Earth 2, 1941, a world very much like our own, yet slightly different. A date which will live in infamy. A world at war. The United States of America was suddenly and deliberately attacked by naval and air forces of the Empire of Japan. Following the Japanese sneak attack on Pearl Harbor, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt brought together the largest group of mystery men ever assembled to battle the Axis powers. Tales of the Justice Society of America presents The All-Star Squadron. and welcome to the Tales of the Justice Society of America. This is episode 46. I'm Nikita Khrushchev, and joining me is a man with his head stuck up his own comic collection, Michael Bailey. Khrushchev? Did someone say Khrushchev? Family Guy reference, you probably wouldn't get it. I don't get it. (laughs) You and your damn Family Guy. Uh, Tales from the JSA. Hey, yeah. podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Carrying your joke from from crisis to crisis. Thank you. For I know. I love that. I love that. that's really caught on. I love it. <laughs> I love it when I come up with something like that and it just it gets picked up by the Associated Press. I love it. It's awesome. 
So anyway, what the hell are we talking about? Oh yeah, um, Crisis on Earth Prime Book 3, sir. Yes, sir, we have, um, we have another George Perez cover to Justice League of America, number 208, with, uh, it's, it's really cool, we have all the characters framed around the picture again, they're not in alphabetical order this time, um, I can't really... Oh, you're right! I can't figure out what order they are in, uh... There, it may have just been chosen randomly, but everyone looks kind of shocked at the image in the middle of the cover, uh, where on one side you have the All-Star Squadron on the left, and you have the Justice League on the right rushing towards a nuclear explosion in the middle of the ocean with Per Degenton's face at the top of the mushroom cloud, and it looks like he just has a big afro, uh, <laughs> really. <laughs> I thought it, it looks a lot like a Joker face, actually. And I, I, I guess Perez was trying to channel Batman and Robin with Liberty Bell and Firebrand because they are swinging in to the frame in the middle of the ocean. So <laughs> I don't know what they're hooked up to. That's kind of weird. But still, a very cool cover. We also have on the cover extra free 16-page comic preview, Masters of the Universe, which Scott and I will not be covering. Nope. Uh, not, not that that stuff's bad, just not really in our purview, uh, really. Uh, story title for this was The Bomb Blast Heard Round the World. Written by Jerry Conway, art by D. Heck and S. Trapani. Plot consultant Roy Thomas, letterer P. Felix, colorist C. Gafford, Len Wein, editor... And Commander Steel demands, because we were left off from the last issue of both Justice League of America and All-Star Squadron, where the All-Stars have walked in on the JLAers naked, and are one... No, I'm just kidding. Um, And Commander Steel demands to know uh, what the JLA are doing there, and surprise to surprise, a fight breaks out between the All-Stars and the Justice League. It's a pretty good one, too, with uh, Johnny Quick taking on Hawkman, Firestorm fighting Robot Man, and Aquaman versus Commander Steel, which I kind of thought was cool because it was people fighting against type. Um, You would think that maybe Firestorm would take on Firebrand, but that just didn't happen. Finally, Superman has enough of everyone's shit and breaks up the fight with a mighty stop it! And I don't know you about you, Scott, but that kind of sounds like, you know, when Dad has had enough of everyone's right. fighting. <laughs> with my father... Don't make me turn this earth around! <laughs> with my father, he would count to three and never get past one. So... Robot Man agrees with this, and finally the two teams talk it out, and Superman explains the whole multiverse thing and the fact that Degaton, Pear Degaton, has taken over Earth Prime. A phone call from President Roosevelt sends both teams to Washington, D.C., where FDR takes the new heroes in stride. You know, they just show up, it's like, bah, you kind of look like Superman, you look a little different. I'm sure it's a superhero thing that I just don't understand. And before explaining why he called them there, a strange package that is essentially a VCR and television has arrived. The All-Stars are baffled by this, but the JLAers try not to laugh at them. (laughs) (laughs) Really? You're surprised by this? We got like a 57-inch screen on our satellite. Hal uses it to watch the game. 
Superman hates him for it. Uh, <laughs> suddenly, the machine comes alive, and it turns out the device was sent by Per Dagaton. Dagaton is sending a message to all of the leaders of the world simultaneously, where he doesn't so much threaten everyone as tell them that he has a bunch of atomic missiles and pretty much spills the beans on the Manhattan Project. He plans a demonstration the next day at dawn, after which he will notify everyone of the relevant details. The JLA and All-Stars have the usual WTF talk, and Roosevelt wants them to be his eyes and ears on this because together they can fight and win. Meanwhile, on Earth Prime in 1982, the JSA finds signs of life and tracks it to a subway tunnel. They are attacked by hideous mutant freaks that were made hideous mutant freaks in the nuclear war that broke out in 1962. And though the hideous mutant freaks have the advantage to start with, the JSA eventually defeat them because, well, they're the JSA and Dr. Fate is there. They search further and find an old blind man surrounded by televisions. And if that's not funny enough, we get the mem- we get his memory of what <laughs> happened in 1962 by Dr. Fate just touching his head and showing it on a television. Uh, the divergence from our history, since Earth 2 is supposed to be our world, uh, is that in not Earth October- Prime. Yeah, Earth Prime. In October of 1962, Kennedy makes his famous speech about the blockade. But after that, Degaton stole the missiles. Kennedy call, calls Khrushchev on the bat phone, and the Soviet premier is baffled by what happened. Only missiles just freaking disappeared. In the biggest overreaction in world history, Kennedy starts World War III. See, I figured that was a mistake, actually. I think he means to call his secretary when he pushes that. <laughs> Can you get Marilyn Monroe on line three, please? Thank you very much. I said launch, not lawn. <laughs> There's a far out Space Nuts reference that only a few people in the audience are going to get, unfortunately. Makes me kind of sad. Green Lantern reminds everyone of, of the persona echo, quote unquote, he felt before. And Fate announces that their enemy is... Per Dagaton. It's like the fifth reveal of who the big bad guy is. In well, also, story. shouldn't the whole everybody else in the team should be like who? <laughs> exactly. Nobody remembers him. Remember, um, which is a good thing because he totally tells everybody about the Manhattan Project. <laughs> um, the next morning on Earth Two, the All Star and JLAers are on hand for Degaton's demonstration. A missile comes streaking out of the sky and detonates, but the heroes are able to contain the blast. Suddenly, a bubble appears with the JSAers in it, and they are quickly fished out of the water. And there are general comments on how old some of the members of the JSA look, though apparently Power Girl is still hot. And from a plane overhead, Degaton monitors all of this and does a little mustache twirling as he swears vengeance on all that opposed him, starting with the All-Star Squadron. So, so far I think the the, the best of the, uh, of the bunch, really. Let's see, going to the historical notes from the All-Star Companion Volume 2. Uh, images of FDR, Harry Hopkins, John F. Kennedy, Robert F. Kennedy, Nikita Khrushchev, Fidel Castro, and Ronald Reagan all appear in this issue, along with those of 1942 world leaders. Those of the Kennedys, Hopkins, and Reagan are not particularly recognizable. Yeah. <laughs> Especially Reagan. Uh, not Don Heck's strong suit, apparently, but FDR's Don... <laughs> 
This is the note, and it made me laugh when I read it. FDR's dog, Fala, comes off okay, though. A key part of Degaton's plan is that, by having the CSA steal atomic missiles from the Cuban site in 1962, the suspicions of JFK and Khrushchev that each is lying to each other about where the weapons are will lead to nuclear war. On Earth Prime, this led to an atomic holocaust. On 1982 Earth 2, the nations of the Earth had surrendered to him in 1942. Degaton detonates an A-bomb in 1942 to demonstrate his power, three-plus years before two would be exploded over Japan and end World War II. Some circles have criticized President Truman's 1945 decision to use the bomb immediately as a weapon, rather than find a way first to, to simply demonstrate its power to the resisting Japanese. It is this writer's humble opinion that those critics are wrong. Amen. Amen. Uh, oh, I'm glad to hear you say that, because I was going to say the same thing, and then I thought, ah, I don't know how Mike sees it the same way. I'm glad to hear you say that, because I say the same thing. When Hopkins says that the futuristic television receiver, actually a 1980s VCR, delivered by Degaton uh, to the White House, bears the label Made in Japan, Robot Man remarks, we had no idea their science was so advanced. <laughs> And that's it from the book for this episode. What are your notes, sir? First and foremost, awesome cover. Mm-hmm. Awesome cover. This uh, it's it's really hard for me to pick whether JLA two hundred seven or this one is my favorite, but they're both awesome. George Perez covers. I, I really really like them both. I like this one a lot because. Although it's you know still a, a couple years before, it reminds me of a uh, of a um, Crisis on Infinite Earths cover because I always like when Perez takes artistic liberty to have non-flying heroes flying anyway. I, I just somehow I get a kick out of that because you've got Robot Man and Commander Steel kind of hovering in the air. You've got Zatanna floating in the air in this one part. I I just really like it. It's just a really cool and dynamic cover. Um, all right, in the beginning of the story here, it's on page two. It's the part where Johnny Quick of Earth 2 is fighting Hawkman of Earth 1. And he, he makes a comment here. He says, the real Hawkman's off in the army, and he'd never get caught by surprise like this. And it was this is one of those things that I always, you know, just to tell you the kind of weird things I think about when I read comic books. This is the kind of story I always wondered how it would work post-crisis, since... Wasn't Hawkman, like, retro to where he was the same Hawkman on both teams, if I remember properly? I don't know how it works now. Yeah. No, I mean, and, I don't I don't know how it is now. After, in the post-crisis yeah. world, yeah, that's a little screwy because it, and there are many attempts to make sense of Hawkman after Hawkworld screwed everything up. Oh, yeah. Uh, a good story, but it just, you know, I have to agree with Mark Wade. If they had put the words 10 years ago. Right, yeah. On the first page of the first issue, everyone would have been like, okay. But for whatever reason, DC Editorial decided, no, this is happening right now, and all that crap didn't happen. <laughs> um, which really makes me think that DC needed a Mark Gruenwald to kind of be there oh, to kick yeah. a little ass. Uh, well, I do think anyways. if, uh, you know, either a, a, a Mark Grunewald or a uh, uh, E. Nelson Bridwell, yeah, absolutely. But um, he could have made the same statement because the costumes were different. 
And it would actually would have been a funnier statement when you think about it, because it would have been like, you know, the Hawk world of this, you know, of world of my era would never do this. And it's just like, really? Because I am that Hawkman. Uh, yeah, I guess that would work. You're right. um, I, I actually kind of liked it, though, because it's like, those wings aren't f- fake. They're beating, and they, you know, cause them to fly backwards and all that. <laughs> I, I enjoy this fight in general. Well, my first big nitpick with the issue is uh, why do Firestorm's blasts reflect off Robot Man's metal body? Now, I know that he can't affect organic things, but he should be able to transform Robot Man's body, right? Yes, I agree with that. Okay. Um, I love that Superman breaks up the fight with a super shout. I really like that. I'd love to see some blood coming out of ears in that part, actually. I think that would be really cool. Um, page five, sixth panel. That looks like Superboy. He just... Yes, I will agree with you on that. It totally looks like Superboy. And he uh, also, Superman comments, he says, uh, he's telling Steel, he says, there are parallel Earths, Commander Steel, seven that we know of for certain. And I was like, wow, really? They only knew of seven at this time? And then I got to thinking, I wonder which seven they're accounting for. It would be Earths 1, 2, 3, Prime, S, X... How many is that? That's That's six. six. What's the seventh one, I wonder? Hmm. I'm not sure. I'll have to think about that. Love Ronald Reagan down here at the bottom of page five, although, again, I I have to agree. uh, It looks nothing like Ronald Reagan. Yeah, it doesn't. If it didn't say in an actor elected president, I would think it was just some dude. Why do they have a guy, you know, like, standing under there? Okay, that's fine. Somebody makes, uh, I think it's Perdegaton, makes reference to uh, General Gr- Yeah, on page 10, third panel, uh, he's talking about the Manhattan Project, and uh, FDR denies any knowledge of it, and he says, then ask General Groves, and I looked it up, and General Groves uh, was the... Uh, guy who oversaw the construction of the Pentagon and was in charge of the Manhattan Project. So, Did you ever see the movie Fat Man and Little Boy? No. no it was a uh, dramatization of the creation of, of the atomic bomb. And Paul Newman plays General Groves. Oh, okay. And Alan Oppenheimer. It's actually a, f- a very, very good movie. And that's why I re- that's actually why I recognize the names General Groves. Because here was this very by the books military man in charge of a bunch of scientists who we all thought were a bunch of, you know, almost, to use a later expression, pinkos. Um, hmm. There is a scene where they're following Oppenheimer who has questionable ties, uh, especially to the fact that he was having an affair at the time, which to Groves and everybody else kind of opened him up to blackmail, which might be a security risk. Uh, though Groves is actually, when... Uh, when he's talking to Oppenheimer's wife, he almost makes excuses for Oppenheimer having an affair. Basically, like, well, he's an important man; he deserves this. But um, there's a scene where they're where the FBI uh, is following Grow is following Oppenheimer to meet his brother, and he kisses his brother. You know, they hug and they and they kiss. Not like you know, like Angelique Jolie and her brother, but you know, like two family members would peck each other on the mouth and one of the guys says he kissed his own brother gotta be a communist so 
<laughs> and that line always made me laugh for some reason. Now, who plays Oppenheimer in that? I forget his name, but he was an excellent, excellent actor. Um, John Cusack is in it, too. Uh, and uh, what's her name? That freaky-looking woman, Laura Dern. Oh, she's a doll. Are you kidding me? She's cute. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that she's not. On the other hand, she's freaky-looking. So, no, I think she's a babe. <laughs> to me, I, so. I, I, I had a I had a brief fling with a girl once that uh, I, I really was with her only because she looked like Laura Dern. <laughs> wow, that's uh. That's an amazing. His name, uh, Dwight Schultz. Oh yeah, from uh, from Star Trek. He was he, uh, was he Barkley? Barkley, yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> you know why that's funny to me? Because Bar- Barkley, amongst my friends, would be the one we would make fun of the most. Oh yeah. Because he was every time he was in an episode, he screwed something up. <laughs> oh man, but yeah. Um, Dwight Schultz, uh, Bonnie Bedelia plays his wife, John Cusack, Laura Dern, John C. McKinley, the late Natasha Richardson, who was hot no matter what movie she was in. Um, she was married to uh, Liam Neeson at one point. Hmm. So, uh, good movie. I recommend it highly. <laughs> Barkley was up in labor. That's so funny. <laughs> Go on with your notes. I'm sorry. No, that's all right. Uh, let's see what else we got here. Page 11, first panel. All right, everybody's standing around. You got uh, Johnny Quick, Firebrand, and Firestorm are talking, and they're they're kind of huddled all together, and they're they're. It looks like they're purposely leaving Zatanna out of the conversation. Johnny Quick says, "That's the guy you told us about." They're talking about Perdegaton, and uh, Firebrand says. But if you saw him victorious in 1982, how can we stop him now? And Fire Firestorm says, don't look at me, fellas. Zaytana pipes up and says, it's a time paradox. And I'm thinking, aw, she's trying to impress them, but obviously doesn't understand what the hell a time paradox is. It's kind of sweet and sad all at the same time. It, it strikes me that she's trying to get into the conversation by any means possible, so she's just sitting there waiting, kind of shaking <laughs> a little bit, and when there's a break, it's a time paradox! <laughs> they all ignore her. <laughs> it, 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 this comes up again, I think it's next issue, but I'm, I'm not sure. It's in a later chapter, I know that much, where Johnny Quick says the same thing. Um, he says something about, it's a time paradox. And I'm like, no, dude, that's not what a time paradox is, but thanks for trying. Um, page 18, I love the uh, the post, or the uh, the nuclear holocaust here. It reminds me an awful lot of the destruction of Krypton whenever you would see that in comics. It just looks very similar with, like, buildings falling and people mm-hmm. running and screaming and stuff. It's cool. Um all right, I, I commented on this during your synopsis, but page 19, where uh, Dr. Fate, as you pointed out, for like the umpteenth time this issue, the big reveal, per Degaton. And I'm serious, everybody around him should go, who? <laughs> Nobody should remember this guy, because remember the, the big beef that Scott has with Per Degaton is every damn Per Degaton story ends up getting wiped out at the end so that nobody remembers this guy. I believe that's so, Scott and Mike's beef with Per Degaton, yeah. really? God, I, I mean, every that. time he shows up, they make a big deal. Oh my God, it's Per Degaton, and it's like, no, dude, you don't know this guy. So, yeah, I wish that writers would remember that. Um, page 21, last panel. All right. 
this was the stupidest moment in the entire issue. All right, the time bubble material... Well, actually, Superman's the one that calls it a time bubble. It's actually not a time bubble at all. It's a Green Lantern bubble. But anyway, the the bubble shows up carrying the uh, the JSAers inside. Superman says, hey, look at that! And everybody runs out to get it. He catches the bubble. So what does Firestorm do? Firestorm uses his atomic powers and opens the friggin' bubble while they're over the ocean. Everybody falls out. They all fall out into the freaking ocean. It's like, what are you doing, dumbass? And nobody calls him on it. I mean, Dr. Fate actually falls into the water. It's hysterical. And Aquaman has to go save him. It just, you know, and then two seconds later, they're on board the ship. Why didn't they? I, I would have loved this issue if, if, I mean, I like it anyway, don't get me wrong, but I would have loved it that much more if there had been a panel of, Superman pulling Firestorm aside and really chewing his ass about d- having done that. You know, I, I just think it's hysterical that he opened the bubble and dumped everybody in the drink. Firestorm, it- can, I, can, I, can I talk to you over here for a second? <laughs> Look, uh, I know you're young and I know you're impressionable, but you, you opened that bubble up over the ocean. We had to have this big rescue effort. I know it made Aquaman feel important, <laughs> but I brought you into this team, so don't fuck up. You're making me look bad, asshole. Exactly. I'm Superman over here. <laughs> so uh, I, uh, suddenly I'm like John Travolta from uh, from from Welcome Back, Kata. I, I'm Superman over here. <laughs> so uh, you know, I like um, you know. Now I'm not a fan of Don Heck, as I think we've pointed out yes, many times before. <laughs> but I, I do like Sal Trapani. I wouldn't say I'm a, I'm a fan or anything, but I do like Sal Trapani. Um, I like, you know, some of the other work I've seen him do before, although, you know, he was mostly known for, like, fantasy, horror, mystery stuff and all that. But, you know, his his work I'd seen before I liked. I think it's a matter of these two guys team together, though, just don't they don't work well together because the art took a serious step down in this issue. Yeah, I, I really wish they would have kept the inker from last issue because he really brought a lot. He... The the biggest problem with Heck is that he has flat compositions. Yes. You know, it, they're not bad looking, but there's not a lot of life to them. So when you get a good inker on him that can bring life into the pencils, his artwork looks better. Right. Uh, you know, it, it is the greatness of comic books sometimes, where you have a penciler that may not be the strongest draftsman, but you have an inker to come along... To come to make his, to make the pencils look better, and thus you have a better comic. And here, all the lines on the faces, all the unnecessary detail, the fuzziness of some of the details. Yeah, like on this last page, all the, the all the men in the Cyclops glasses behind Perdegaton. <laughs> you know, it's 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 like they it, they don't even need to be there because they look that bad. So, but yeah, I agree with you on that. Um, for me, I really liked the opening splash page, even though it was a little stiff. Uh, I, you know, Heck helped create Commander Steel, so it's nice to see him draw the character again. I, God, I, I forgot about that. that. Yeah, you're absolutely like that right. Continuity. Uh, I mentioned on page two, liking the Hawkman thing. Page three, third panel, we get a total Kirby shot of Aquaman punching Commander Steel as the fist comes towards the reader. 
which I always kind of liked. Um, same page, Superman uses his heat vision on, on, on Commander Steel. It would have been even funnier if he had melted the hand to, like, a slab. <laughs> I don't know why that would have been funnier, but it would have been funnier to me. Uh, page four, a top panel before Superman tells all the kids to knock it the fuck off. We have the the All-Stars and the, and the JLA in the X-Men, you know, new X-Men versus original X-Men pose. Yeah. Uh, which I always like. I don't care who does it. You know, you can have the Legion of the Doom, you know, running towards the Super Friends or whatever. As long as the artist doesn't completely suck, it will always make me happy. Um, page, uh, page, page five? <laughs> um... So you're called Firebrand, huh? Firestorm says, what a coincidence. I'm Firestorm. Maybe we can compare notes. About what? (laughs) And Martin Stein goes, down, boy. Take some advice from your shared persona. You're in over your head. It's just like... Okay. Firebrand in All-Star Squadron is portrayed as kind of a modern girl for the 40s. She'd know what the hell he was talking about. (laughs) So... Oh, yeah, she's just blowing him out. You know, it never really hit me until now that Firestorm, he's kind of like the Jordy LaForge of the team. He just can't get laid despite all his best efforts. It's really kind of sad. One day we're going to find about the, find out about the girl that uh, Firestorm created in the JLA satellite holodeck that he goes <laughs> and hangs out with. <laughs> I told you I watched that show. Um, page 8. <laughs> Um, uh, it's kind of funny that FDR does tr- take everything in stride. Parallel worlds, eh? Sounds something like uh, like the sounds like something that fellow Einstein might think up. Make a note, Harry. Have the Princeton boys look into this. It's just like, you know what? I've had so I, I've had a night from the times of King Arthur in my Oval Office. I have a guy with a magic ring. I have a guy who can run really fast. I've got a dude with big wings, a, a guy with a uh, vibrator that he calls a cos- uh, a gravity rod. <laughs> you know, people from another Earth, who cares? You know, I, I guess the only thing he would probably say is that Zatanna is a little underdressed. For 40 sensibilities, I don't know. Um... <laughs> Robot Man's comment about I didn't know that their science was so advanced. It's... I don't know. <laughs> I like that part, though, because I, you know, I, I like, you know, the same, the same, it's not really a joke, but the same type of scene is also played out in um, Back to the Future 3. Yeah. You know, when, when Doc said, you know, no wonder this circuit failed. It says made in Japan. I like that. <laughs> The uh, same page, page nine, Liberty Bell, when faced with Perdegathon, says something about him seems so familiar. That I like, because she doesn't quite remember what happened, but there's like a, a like a phantom memory there. No, no, no! Just a little bit. I mean, no! Okay. They shouldn't fine. remember him at all. Time reformed, damn it! But uh, Firestorm's, <laughs> Firestorm's comment is even better. He's a nutcase, Liberty Bell. They all look alike, so... Yeah, they all look exactly alike. <laughs> um, the interlude on Earth Prime. Important part of the story, but the whole, you know, mutated people. You know, <laughs> 
it would have been funny if one of them started going one of us, one of us, one <laughs> of us. But uh, you know, we're, we're you know the Phantom Echoes thing is brought up again, which you know we talked about uh, an episode or two ago, which we both called BS on. And I know that for the sake of the plot, having to move along a lot faster. Uh, because you know they're, they're they've already got everything in motion. So when they do the flashback, Kennedy you know launches the missiles. There's kind of an explanation given why he why he went to that. And you know, 21 years after Pearl Harbor, the fear of a surprise attack remained a sore on the American psyche. In that lonely Oval Office, the young Cold Warrior did the only thing he thought possible, praying that God would forgive him. And that's not what would happen <laughs> right um especially with you know watching documentaries on uh you know the cuban missile crisis it would there would have been an invasion before he would have launched the missiles well, I, I think yeah oh yeah i agree with you totally i you know i don't think that kennedy would be like all right well they didn't do what i said so i'm gonna nuke everybody no i <laughs> you know because that it you know it says you know the lonely cold warrior or the young cold warrior and all and it's like yeah it makes him sound like a nut you know so no i agree with you completely but it's one of those things where you know they had to expedite yeah exactly story and and all that sort of thing so yeah that's why i prefaced my comment with you know they they kind of had to do this but i don't buy it so you know it's the great thing about these podcasts is that you could be nitpicky on things that you don't need to be nitpicky on for the sake of entertainment but at the same time it's kind of fun to talk about it so um well also i don't understand in the in the long run i don't understand why the writer felt the need to even include this part of the story because i mean what more explanation do you really need than the syndicators came they they took the missiles it fucked the whole situation up and eventually there was a there was a nuclear war that's all you really need you don't need to see this interplay between kennedy and khrushchev and the button being pushed because, like you say, if you stop to think about it for a minute, then it starts to unravel. Plus, you know, they tell you right here in the narration, the rest they realize is conjecture, worked out after the uh, afterward by the mad. So this is this is the mad one's idea of what probably happened. Okay. So again, yeah, you don't even need true. this. You don't need this this page at all. All you need is them to find the mad one, and the mad one says. You know, confirms their suspicion that something happened back in '62 that made the world go to nuclear war, and it all spun out of the Cuban Missile. Yeah, because because you know it's it's like in the movie Thirteen Days, you know. Uh-huh. So we invade Cuba, and they invade Berlin, and it's war. Right. You know. Right. <laughs> People like to jump the nuclear gun. I guess is the best way to say it, but uh, <laughs> just because that was a really good scene too when he explains everything. I really love right. that. God, Bruce Greenwood was good in that movie. I, I've been meaning to dig that back out and watch it again while we're we're in this storyline, and I just haven't found the time to do it. But yeah, I, I highly recommend that movie to people. Thirteen if, days, yeah. just and you know, if you even if you're not a fan of the Kennedy brothers, they look like complete badasses throughout the entire film. It's a really good movie. I, um, I really hate on page 22 how everyone's like, look at how old these guys are. 
Oh, come on. That's how they would be, though. I mean, it's 40 years later. Talk about well-preserved, Firestorm says. Power Girl's just as lovely as she was the last time I saw her. He looks down her shirt, too. I'm convinced of it. She's unconscious. And he rearranges the molecules of her costume to make them, you know, disappear. (laughs) (laughs) And all of a sudden, Power Girl boobs. Because they're not just boobs. They're power boobs. (laughs) I... I'm amused on the very last page that Degaton looks like he's just on the couch watching TV. <laughs> he's got Ranting his little and really, bunker chair there, and yeah. You, you've kind of talked in past episodes about your father's running commentary of the news um, when you were a kid, and this is kind of, that, that, that made me think of uh, this page made me think of that. That I could see like some guy sitting there watching the news and talking to it like he's a part of it. He throws his shoe at the at the newscaster. But in rereading these, because it has been over a decade since I've read these stories for the first time, um, this is my favorite chapter. Uh, simply because, you know, everything's been set up and now we're continuing. Because the last two parts were really one big part. Right. Well, I can, I, can set up. I can see this. I can easily see this being a favorite chapter because... Um, I don't want to spoil ahead, but I, I think that things kind of take a downward turn next chapter. Oh, yes, definitely. And, I mean, it, as, it, great concepts, but just kind of not the best execution. Well, they, they kind of, you know, maybe I should save this until we get to it. But I, I just think that, and I'll point it out when we get there. I think that uh, late in the next chapter, we kind of revert to form of the standard JSA JLA team up of of how they've always been in the past and that bugs me because up till now this has felt very new this this feels like it's been breaking that formula and then all of a sudden they return to that formula and I was like no because then that's when they it kind of starts to lose my interest so it comes off the rails slightly towards the end and, yeah um, yeah you know, when I read the final part, I'll, I'll have more of a fully formed opinion. Because, again, I don't remember the last part all that much, but it may, like, come back and rally at the end and redeem everything. So, uh, I do know I love the next, the cover to the next issue of Justice League of America with Paradigaton sitting there going, I win! <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean... It, Solid issue, liked it a lot, uh, nitpicks and all. Um, really wish Perez did the covers to all five of the issues, but that's just me. Yes. Or five of the things, but that's just me. No, I, I completely agree with you. So we're going to hit some emails. I started off last time, so Scott's going to start us off this time. No! Yes. Okay. Uh, let's see here. We've got one from our old buddy, Stan Johnston. Stan! <clears throat> And he writes in saying, hi, guys. He says, thanks for another awesome episode. He's commenting on uh, episode 34, by the way. And he says, and there are no apologies needed for going off on tangents. (laughs) That's a good thing because we do it every single episode. Indeed. He thinks I uh, he says, I think you would probably be surprised if you knew how often your tangents have led me to read or watch something I might not otherwise have done. So I actually enjoy your rambling quite a bit. Oh, thank you. Says it was awesome that you played President Roosevelt's infamy speech to Congress. I know that most people have heard the most famous clip from the speech, but many uh, have never heard more of it. 
This is a very interesting uh, draft. Excuse me. There is a very interesting draft copy of the speech's first page available online, which shows various changes Roosevelt made written in his own hand. Ooh, I'd like to see that. Yeah, me too. Yeah, send us that link. Now, a few thoughts on the comics from this episode, beginning with All-Star number five. As Johnny Quick began running across the water to get to the Statue of Liberty, I chuckled a bit at his comment to Robot Man that he couldn't slow down without sinking and that Saturday was still four nights away. I can remember my grandfather uh, teasing me about Sunday night bath when I was a kid, even though I the joke until I was much older. <laughs> <laughs> I love the page with Quick running up the side of the statue. I never got into collecting original art, but that is a page I wouldn't mind owning. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, that is a dynamic page. Uh, there was something that bugged me from late in the issue. Robot Man's feet are fused together by a flamethrower, and I'm not sure if that would actually happen. I don't know how hot a World War II-era flamethrower burned, but even if it was hot enough to fuse metal, I would still think it would be nearly impossible to meld together the feet of a running man, even if he were made of metal. I also wouldn't think such fusion would take place instantaneously as shown in the story. If I'm wrong and someone knows more about this, please feel free to expound. That's a good, that's a good thought. Yeah. Comic book it. physics. Yeah. Yeah, ex- yeah, exactly. That's what it comes down to is it's yeah. Comic book physics. Moving on. I enjoyed brave and the bold 187 warts and all many of the stories from that series were goofy, but as mentioned, they were part of that was part of their charm. Well, one eighty seven. Which one was that? One eighty seven. It was the one where Batman and Robin of Earth two met, and oh, okay. Batwoman showed up, and was like yeah. the crazy cougar girl. You know, with with all apologies to the writers on those issues, I think what saved Brave and the Bold, and one of the things that I, I think really causes so many of us to look back fondly, is the awesome, awesome art, usually yes. by, by Jim Apero. Because I think if you if you put you know somebody I don't know Don Heck or somebody on that I don't think that that would be near as fondly remembered as it is today because they were it was just gorgeous to look at. Um, he said there have been some that seemed really bad on subsequent uh, readings, but mostly they hold up fairly well. I I agree. I think they do too. What I didn't like was the Nemesis backup series, so I'm pleased to find out that you didn't either. I Amen. remember trying to read it, but the artwork just put me off so badly that I didn't care to, enough to keep going. I'm sure that Dan Spiegel is a fine man who put uh, all into his work, but the style just doesn't work for me. You guys talked about Kubert's stuff seeming scratchy, and that is how Spiegel's art has always struck me. Amen. Yes. Finally, if- <laughs> if Scott... Oh, and he misspelled my name. Scott has two T's. says, finally, if Scott finds a link for that Jello pudding commercial at the Fortress of Solitude, he must post it. Stan Johnson. Stan, I literally spent hours and hours and hours scouring the internet <laughs> for that goddamn thing, and I never did find it. But I swear to you people, in this particular instance anyway, I'm not crazy. This commercial existed. I just can't seem to find the damn thing. So if anybody else had better luck with that, please send me, you know, a link. Uh, you know, if you can find the video itself, great. If you can just find reference to it. I couldn't even find reference. I mean, I Googled, you know, Fortress of Solitude, Bill Cosby, you know, Fortress of Sol- Solitude, you know, Pudding, 
You know, every I couldn't I could not find one scrap of evidence anywhere on the internet to to confirm this, but I swear to God that that commercial existed. So anyway, <laughs> not crazy, not crazy. Neutralizer, uh, <laughs> not crazy. <laughs> Alrighty, our next email is from uh, our good friend, Jose Rivera, episode 34. It's always time for hyper time. That sounds. Sorry, I didn't mean to go into like Billy D. Williams, Hawking Colt 45. What have we here? What have we here? Hypertension. Yeah. Anyways, he writes, hey guys, another great episode. While you apologized for its lateness, having it released on the 4th of July and including the speech by FDR was in a great touch. Not planned at all. But I want to take this chance to talk to you about something you brought up in the episode. Hypertime! Man, do I have memories of this concept. You were right. It was DC's attempt to get the multiverse back without undoing everything that Crisis did. Mm-hmm. I'm remembering it being very controversial at the time, and if memory serves me right, I remember Grant Morrison and Mark Wade having disputes over how Hypertime was supposed to work and how it ended up being used in the DC universe. Though used very infrequently, the two uses that stick out were the hypertension storyline in Superboy, of which Michael, I remember Michael saying he something about having a letter printed in Part 2. It was my very first letter printed in a comic. And the Dark Flash saga in The Flash. Hypertension allowed us to see Superboy against Black Zero, which was awesome in a let's see the different reality versions of the character story. But my favorite will be the Dark Flash saga, in which Walter West, a Flash from another reality, got trapped in ours. The longer Walter stayed, the long, excuse me, the longer Walter stayed, the more alternate realities started to bleed into the main DCU. The best part of that saga was how it explained that although these alternate realities uh, exist, any attempts to have realities cross over for prolonged periods of time would be disastrous, which made the life Walter had set up for him all the more tragic. In Wade's final issue, he had Walter say goodbye to the woman he loved and traveled through hypertime to get back home. I always wish they'd continue the story and made Walter West the Dark Flash into a character searching from reality to reality, hoping to make it back to his own reality. It could have had a Quantum Leap Sliders feel. Sadly, nothing came of it. That would have been interesting. I would have liked that. Would that would have been interesting. Uh, you, you remember that um, that Justice League... I think it was a Justice League America issue, if I remember... Or storyline, if I remember. It was, it was basically... It, it always struck me as... as Destiny's like an, Hand. Yeah, that was it. It was like an homage to the old Super Friends episode where they went to that evil parallel universe. Was, was that a hypertime story? No, that was way before hypertime. That was the... That was that four-issue series came directly after the death of Superman. Yeah. But how so, how was that explained? It was just a parallel reality or I something? I forget. It's yeah. I love that story, but I forget the ending because at the end it was that was where it was revealed that uh, Bloodwind was Martian Manhunter. Oh God, yeah, that's right. Um, and and things kind of go off the rails to there. I mean, just that first and second issue of that of that arc was so amazing, especially with Hawkman being a complete dick, mm-hmm. <laughs> just a bastard. So. No, I love that. If you could ever track it down in the the fifty cent boxes, I believe it's Justice League America number seventy one through like seventy four. Yeah, uh, because sixty nine was the Doomsday one, and seventy was the funeral for a friend. Yeah, uh, 
quote-unquote crossover. I didn't remember it being that soon after the death of Superman, but yep. I guess you're right. But yeah, right I loved him. that storyline. Mm-hmm. Uh, we want the real Earth 2 back, and this would have been a great way to continue the stories we love. Sadly, it's sadly it's doubtful the real Earth 2 will ever see the light of day again. And with Grant Morrison doing his multiversity mini whatever he, whenever he feels like it, we're bound to see this new Earth 2 to be something that will piss us off. But seeing the potential Hypertime had, it would have been interesting to see that what they would have done creatively with it, like in Hypertension and the Dark Flash saga, rather than letting it be a hey, let, that this all still happened, but we don't, we still don't have a multiverse crutch. I love the All Star Squadron reviews, but discovering new titles through elsewhere in the DC multiverse, I know that segment's going to change its title eventually, but I still love the discussions on the covers. Keep up the great work, Jose. I'm glad to, I'm glad that he likes that so you know because we don't, I don't to my recollection anyway we don't seem to get a lot of comment on the elsewhere in the DC multiverse segment so I'm glad to hear that he enjoys that I, I've wondered how people felt about that I've often wondered if that's a segment that might pull people out of the show because you know then we go from you know talking about stuff happening in the 40s to what was happening you know in the 80s of of DC at the time but. I, I enjoy that segment so much, I don't want to drop it, you know? All right, last one for this uh, time around is from Ian Robinson, and he writes saying, Just writing to say thanks. Hey, Scott and Mike, just wanted to write in and say thank you for doing this podcast. I know that you guys do this thing because you love both the pos- podcasting and the comics you're covering, and it really shows. Not only do I look forward to Tales of the JSA each week, but I can honestly say that it has had a real impact on my life. You see, during and after my time in art school, I worked with my friend Jim on various comic strips and indie comic books. We even put out a few issues of self-published compilations. Jim has continued to work on comics ever since, but I drifted away from it and ended up doing illustrations, mainly for posters, album covers, and clothing. Then over the last few months, I found myself starting to work with Jim again writing scripts, doing page layouts, and even putting together a proposal for a superhero story, something I uh, have never even thought of doing before. We're even getting a table with another indie creator at the New York Comic Con in October. When I asked myself why the hell I had started all this stuff up again, I came to a surprising conclusion. I blame Scott Gardner and Michael Bailey. (laughs) Don't blame us. We didn't do it. We get blamed for so many things. Oh, tell you what, you know, the Holocaust, and uh, it's just ridiculous. You two, uh, both on Tales and all the other podcasts you do, have such an unadulterated love for the subject of comics that it's infectious. Even when you run across something you hate, it's obvious that your irritation comes from knowing how good these things can be and not from any sort of scorn. And when you come across the stories that you truly love, wow. Even if it's a story that I don't care for, you guys always put so much thought and passion into your explanations of why it's great that it forces me to take another look. Basically, you two have reminded me of all the reason I love the medium of comics in the first place and spurred me on uh, to getting back into it. And I wanted to sincerely thank you both. Sincerely, Ian. P.S. I'm so happy to see that the hostess ads are back. <laughs> No, thank you, Ian. That was a really nice email. That was, we yeah, appreciate that. Was that was very nice. That uh, wow, that gives us a lot to live up to now. But <laughs> yes. I can't stand the pressure. 
<laughs> oh my god, I was just noting the date on that email. Oh my goodness, I'm sorry it's taken us so long. Uh, we're getting through them though, guys. We're getting oh through them. God. I mean, yeah. seriously, is that date right on that? Yes, that date is. That is, oh. it's it's back in July. Yes. <laughs> hey, oh. we, we took a couple months off. I mean, you know, things happen. You know, and but you know, we we have. Two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, maybe more. So, you know, within a couple of weeks, we can knock, depending on the email links, we can knock all of these out and then be caught up. And people can start writing in anew when they get to the newer episodes, <laughs> which means we'll start being backed up since we're getting so far ahead of ourselves. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's it, folks, for this time. As usual, uh, this issue has not been reprinted yet, though, as I keep saying, I have a sneaking suspicion that it will be in the next Crisis on Multiple Earths collection uh, if they continue to do that. Uh, Next week, we'll have the usual ads and elsewhere talk and all that. But uh, this is kind of a weird storyline, so this one's a little shorter than usual. To which I'm sure some people are like, Good! I don't feel that way, though. (laughs) Thank you for listening to another exciting episode of Tales of the Justice Society of America, hosted by Scott H. Gardner and Michael R. Bailey. If you like this show, check out Back to the Bins, where Mike and I talk about random back issues from the past. You can find that at www.2truefreaks.com. .libson.com Scott has another podcast that he hosts with his childhood friend and former personal masseuse and fry cook to Oprah Winfrey, Chris Honeywell called Two True Freaks, which like Tales and Back to the Bins can be found at www.twotruefreaks.libson.com Mike has a few other podcasts that he either hosts or co-hosts because he loves the sound of his own voice as well. The first is Views from the Longbox, which is Mike's solo show and can be found at www.viewsfromthelongbox.com Then there's From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast which Mike hosts with Jeffrey Taylor, which can be found at both www.supermanhomepage.com and www.fortressofbaileytude.com. Scott and I have gigantic egos, and we love to hear from the listeners. You can reach the show by writing to talesofthejsa at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and come back next week for another installment of the Tales of the Justice Society of America.
It's comics! Hey, Michael. Yes? We have to record a promo for our podcast. I've got one. Read our podcast. Read our podcast. You do know this is an audio medium. Watch our podcast. Well, you can watch podcasts, but not ours, because let's face it, we've got faces for radio. Uh, no, wait, I've got it. Give me a second, right? What? Just listen to our podcast. Listen to our podcast. Snap it. It's short, sweet. I'm liking it. It's good. It's great. Not exactly telling people what our podcast's about, though, is it? We read comics. We read comics. That's true. That's good. Liking it. Liking this pitch. Carry on. Right. We talk about comics. We do. We talk about comics. We read comics, and then we talk about them, because we can't talk about them before we read them. Excellent. Keep going. And then... We sing! Badly! Yes, well, badly is purely subjective, but how many other comic book podcasts do you know where people sing? H's Comics! Every Thursday at aplayland.podomatic.com Okay, let's get this show on the road, gang. Mondays. Available the third Monday of every month at twotruefreaks.libson.com July 1963 The Marvel Age of Comics was dawning. First came the rise of the Fantastic Four. Then came the Incredible Hulk. Followed by the Amazing Spider-Man and the Mighty Thor. But... The Marvel Age was about to give way to the Age of the Atom, and nothing would be the same. Was the world ready for the strangest superheroes of all? The X-Men? On June 3rd, you can go to the movie theater and see the evolution of the X-Men, or you can listen to Xavier's podcast for Gifted Youngsters, an X-Men podcast, and see how it really began. It's the Merry Marvel Mutants, Cyclops, Marvel Girl, the Angel, the Beast, Iceman, and their mentor, Professor Xavier, from the beginning, issue by issue. Every two weeks, join J. David Weider and Michael Bailey as they follow the X-Men saga from the creation to the first class and beyond. Gasp at the tyranny of Magneto, stand in the awe of the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, marvel at the mystery of the Vanisher, and cower at the sight of the Submariner, all for the first time, panel by panel. On June 3rd, prepare for the Children of the Atom at xavierspodcast.blogspot.com. Hey, 